0: This morning, I invite you to open your Bible as we begin a new series of messages, and we're entitled in this series, Discover the Real Jesus. We're going to look in the Gospel of Mark together for the next several weeks. We've passed out the Gospel of Mark to almost every home in our city in the last few weeks. We've had an intentional prayer emphasis where we've been praying for every home and family by name over our whole city. And uh, then we also have put uh, on every door um, handle a uh, small copy of the Gospel of Mark. And so today, that's where we're going to be at as we begin this series of messages. I want to take a few minutes and introduce this great book of gospel and this great account and story and the life of our Lord Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open with me to Mark's Gospel beginning with chapter number one, verse number one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths And when he had come up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word, and Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Father, convict us of our sin, draw us to Jesus Christ, and may we confess that he indeed is the Son of God. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. There are many different ideas about the real Jesus and what Jesus is like. There's been characterizations about who Jesus was, what Jesus taught, the kind of person that Jesus was. Often the caricature of Jesus is based on sentimental ideas or false understanding, or at least very incomplete understanding. If you talk to people today, they'll talk about Jesus as if they understand the teaching of Jesus or who Jesus was. Often, Jesus is called in to support their political position one way or another. They have ideas about Jesus, that he was a non-confrontational teacher. Well, the Gospel of Mark might show something different. They say that he's just a good man doing good things. He was a non-conformist, and he was uh, fought for social justice, That he was loving no matter who you are or what you do. He was accepting of all. All people no matter what they do. And all behaviors are okay with Jesus. And some teach then make it sound like their caricature of Jesus. As if he's passive or weak or naive. Some say admittedly he's a good teacher. But they deny that he is the son of God. Some say that he pointed to God, but he's not really God. Others, that he was just an ancient teacher that tried to help us to live right like other great teachers. Hmm. But Most of their ideas are based on mythology about Jesus, not the real Jesus. Let's go to the source to find out what the real Jesus is like. And that source is not modern commentary. That source is not modern culture. That source is not the news media. That source is God's holy word, amen? And Mark's account, Mark is one of the gospels. It is good tidings about Jesus. And Mark begins abruptly this gospel. We're going to look at it in just a moment. But sort of some background about it. Who is the author of this book? While the author isn't named, it's traditionally understood, and there are great clues within the text. And history gives us context that this is none other than John Mark. John Mark is the son of a widow from Jerusalem named Mary, and she was a follower of Jesus Christ. The disciples often met in her home, and after the resurrection, they were gathered in her house. It may be that at Mary's house in Jerusalem that the Lord's Supper, First Lord's Supper, was observed. She was a follower of Christ and also related to Barnabas. John Mark and Barnabas are cousins. Now, Barnabas was a Great man of God. He was a missionary. He was an encourager, a teacher, a disciple maker. And he was not one of the 12, but considered to be an apostle in the life of the church. John Mark might have been a teenager during the days that Jesus was in Jerusalem and the day that he was arrested in Gethsemane, many people believe in the description of a young man who ran away and someone in the, reached out and grabbed a hold of him and one of the um, uh, guards and, uh, when they were arresting Jesus. And this young man runs away and loses his outer garment and said he ran home naked. And lots of people believe John Mark put that story in there because it was him. John Mark, we understand him to be a cousin of Barnabas when Paul and, and Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, were in Syrian Antioch. God was moving in a powerful way. And they were told by a word of the Lord to go and bring an offering to the church in Jerusalem who was suffering a difficulty and famine. And they took that gift and Paul and Barnabas went there to Jerusalem to give the gift. And they brought back with them to the Syrian Antioch, John Mark. When the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called him, the first missionary journey out of Antioch, among the men that went with them on that first missionary trip was the young man, John Mark. And John Mark, they encountered difficulties and hardships in that first. Missionary journey, and I don't know what was fear or difficulty or what, but a lack of focus, but John Mark abandoned the missionary team and went back home to Mama. Well, this didn't set well with Saul. And so later, when Barnabas and Saul went to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas said, "Let's take John Mark with us again." And Saul said, no. He's a quitter. He, he gave up on us last time. He's not going. It caused such a schism between Barnabas and Saul that it became two missionary teams, and Saul went, took with him Silas, and Barnabas takes John Mark with him. He was mentored by Barnabas, but later in his life, he became very closely associated with Simon Peter, St. Peter. And he was, he was mentored by him. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter calls him his son in the ministry. Later, in even the apostle Paul's life, Mark is so matured and developed that Paul says in the very last days of his life to his son in the ministry, Timothy, when you come to visit me, pick up Mark and bring him with you because he is useful to me. How, God, aren't you glad that you can mess up and God is not throw you away <laughs> and there's a new beginning in your life? This gospel may have been the very first one written. Lots of New Testament scholars believe that Mark was one of the first gospels written and that Matthew and Luke use it as they write their gospels. We're not certain about that. But it seems like the Gospel of Mark was written extremely early, probably by the early or mid-50 A.D. after the death of Christ. It was written from Italy, most likely, uh, near Rome, and uh, where Peter was and Paul was. And it's considered by the church fathers and tradition to be St. Peter's Gospel, that it's the Gospel really toiled in the voice Of Peter but the writing of John Mark and this is the message that Peter preached so when you read the gospel of Mark and you're gonna love it and I'm encouraging you read it through for the next several weeks read it through multiple times and ask God to speak through you it's rich in vivid detail it's fast-paced it's like a movie One of his favorite words to use is the word immediately, immediately, immediately. And it's, it's moving on and telling the great story. It's not a biography. He's telling a story with a purpose. And the purpose is that we might know who Jesus is and repent of our sin, believe in him, and become kingdom followers of Jesus Christ. The audience is not a Jewish audience it seems like he's writing to Gentiles. That's us, right? Particularly Roman Gentiles. There's fewer Old Testament quotes. There's, he translates the Aramaic so you understand it. And there's more Latin phrases found in Mark than some of the other Gospels. Now, the structure and purpose of this book, first of all, some questions that we'll consider. The first part of the book of Mark is asking this question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? The second part of the Gospel of Mark, in the middle, is why did he come? Why did he come? And then he describes, what did he do? And then, how do I respond? So these questions are found throughout the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look at them together. Now today, we're going to begin with, who is he? And, and, and the way Mark answers that, he says, I want to tell you who he is right out of the gate, and then I want to tell you that he was declared to be the Son of God, and he demonstrated that he was the Son of God by the things that he did. Today, we want to look at how he was, dem- how he was declared to be the Son of God. Now, look with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel there means good tidings, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. The word Christ is Christos. It's, it's the Greek word for Messiah. And so Jesus, Messiah, the Son of God. He doesn't want you to be unaware. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Wow. And so he's declared to be the Son of God by John Mark. But it's not just John Mark's voice alone. He was mentored by the apostles. So what he's saying is, I'm telling you, this is what all of the apostles preach. And this is the preaching of missionaries across the world. That Jesus Christ, Jesus is Messiah. He's God's promised and anointed one, and we saw him, and he is the Son of God. That's who he is. He had heard the preaching of James, Jesus' half-brother. He had heard the preaching of Barnabas. He had heard the preaching of Saul, Paul. He had heard the preaching of Peter, and he had spent months and months listening to Peter's stories, and he records them, writes them down in what might be the oldest gospel. And he makes this bold statement. He is the Son of God. Now, he brings in witnesses to this great truth or proposition. And so he calls in witnesses to this statement that Jesus is the Son of God. Folks, I want you to listen close. You can't read the Bible and then just say, Well, Jesus was just a good teacher. No, he was declared to be different than any other man that walked on the face of the earth, the Son of God. Amen? Who's his first witness that he calls? The first witness that he calls to this is John the Baptist. He said, the prophets say in Malachi and Isaiah, these words... Behold, I send my messenger. Who's my messenger? Before your face, who will prepare your way? This is a prophet prophesied of. One who would come in the line of the prophets, fulfillment of the prophets, preparing the way of the Lord. John didn't come to prepare the way for another prophet. He came to prepare a way for the Lord. And he, there's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And Mark calls Isaiah to the witness, and he says, Isaiah gives testimony that John the Baptist is that forerunner of Jesus Christ. And what did John the Baptist do? John the Baptist, verse 4, appeared baptized into the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So he declared that we're all sinners and that we need to repent and turn to God. That's what he said. And then be baptized as a symbol of your turning from sin and turning to God. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. He, in the Old Testament lineage, he was like Elijah. And Jesus said, if you wanted to see Elijah coming before the Messiah, he did come. And that's in John the Baptist. Notice his preaching. It was forgiveness of sins and a baptism of repentance. It says in verse 5 all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John the Baptist did not shop at Joseph A. Bank for his clothes. He says he was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt, I don't know if he got it at the buckle or somewhere else, but uh, around his waist, and he ate what? Locusts. That's what we're having for the fellowship tonight, and uh, no, we're not. And so he ate locusts and what? Well, honey, I like that part. That meant he lived off of the land. He did not put on airs. And he was a strong character, wasn't he? But when he preached, this is what he said. He said, listen, I'm not the Messiah. That's what he said. Actually, he said, the one coming after me is mightier than I. Look at the scripture. He preached saying, after me comes one who's mightier than I meaning I'm not the one, I'm not the Messiah, I am not. But there's coming one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie or unlatch. You see the sandals on a man's feet. The lowest house slave, when you would wash, uh, and when you show hospitality, you would wash their feet. And so the lowest of the lowest house slave, would be the one that had to untie a man's sandals and wash his feet. That's why the disciples didn't want to do it in the upper room, remember? And he said, I'm so unworthy and I am so much less that I'm not even qualified to do the lowest job of a slave. That's how great Jesus is. Now, Jesus said concerning John the Baptist, among those born of women, no one's greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus said, of all the men ever born of a woman, that's a pretty good crowd. He's the greatest one. But John said, compared to Jesus, I can't even untie his sandals. That's how much lower I am than him is. What he's saying is, Jesus is no ordinary man. He's God's son. He's different than any other man that walks the face of the earth. But he's not finished. This testimony of John the Baptist said, I have a ministry and my ministry is to baptize with water. But one comes after me, is so much mightier than I, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And there's only one that can baptize with the Holy Spirit, and that's the Lord Himself. So, who is the baptizer? John the Baptist is called the Baptist, the baptizer. But he said, one after me baptizes in a way I could never baptize because I'm just a man. But there's coming one who is the Son of God, and he'll pour out His Spirit on all men. Changing their hearts from a heart of flesh, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, writing the law of God upon their heart, changing them, causing them to be born again. It's only Jesus that can do that. Wow. And that's his point, Jesus is the Son of God. Second witness that he calls, Mark, as he's making his argument that Jesus is the Son of God, is heaven itself. The voice of heaven, Jesus comes to him to be baptized in the Jordan River. And when he came to the water to be baptized, John said, you want me to baptize you? I, I I need to be baptized by you. He said, no, you baptize me to fulfill righteousness. And John then permitted him and baptized Jesus. And when he baptized him, it says the heavens were rent open and the Spirit descended like a dove. Here's a picture of the Trinity, by the way. And then a voice out of heaven, this is my son. Listen to him. I'm well pleased with him. That's what he said. You see what a beautiful picture, a picture of the son and the spirit and the dove and the voice of heaven. And what does the voice of heaven say? This is my son, my beloved. I'm well pleased. This is my boy, my son. Wow. It's not the only time that that happens. In chapter number 9, we have the story that Jesus takes some of his disciples, Peter and James and John, and enter a close triad, and he takes them with him up to the mountain, and while he's there, Jesus becomes transfigured, his the body's almost translucent. And all of a sudden appear two other men. And the disciples recognize them. They're Elijah and Moses. And Jesus is talking with them. And uh, talking about what's getting ready to happen. Can you imagine being at that worship service on top of that mountain? Here's Moses, representing all of the law of God. And here's Elijah representing the prophets of God. And here's Jesus, the Son of God. Woo! That'd be glorious. Peter is just overcome. He goes, and you know, I've done this a million times. You ever just get your mouth in gear before you think about what you're saying? And that's exactly what happened to old Pete. Peter said, oh, it's so good to be here. Let's just build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is not equal to Moses and Elijah. Jesus fulfilled the law of the prophets. Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. This is my Son, a voice out of heaven. You listen to him. He's above all other names. Amen? That's who Jesus is. (laughs) That's who he is. Wow. There's a third witness. And this last witness is a very unlikely source. In chapter number 1, verse 21, they came into Capernaum, Jesus, is a little town right on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus worked, became like his adopted hometown. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who has authority, not as the scribes. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, that's a demon. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. What an unlikely witness. A demon is a fallen angel. A demon is a part of the satanic rebellion. But this demon, in past eternity somewhere, used to be in the very presence of God Himself and bring praise to Him. But now he's an evil spirit. But this demon recognizes the second person of the Godhead. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead sees. He saw. That this man from Nazareth, that God himself dwelt in him. And he said, you are the Holy One of God. All heaven declares he is God's son. The prophets declare he is God's son. John the Baptist declares he's God's son. Mark and the apostles declare he is God's son. But even hell itself said he is God's son. There is no other one like Jesus. Woo! Amen. How about you? What do you say about him? Who do you say that he is? John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 14. 1 John four fourteen, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. Now listen close. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and He in God. If you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it would require certain things of you. There would be a natural response. And the response is that if Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, then I should turn from my sin and I should trust in Him. I should want to obey Him and to love Him And to follow him. And to be changed by him. Because he loves you. And he came for you. This is how we discover the real Jesus. When we understand he was no ordinary man. He was the son of God. you bow your heads with me? Maybe today God has spoken to your heart and you realize through the testimony of baptisms, through the powerful understanding of Scripture, that you need to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You've heard others give testimony of how Christ changed their life. The Lord wants to change your life today. And he's here to meet with you. But it means you humbling yourself and saying, Jesus is no ordinary man. I believe that he's the son of God and I repent of my sin. And I'm turning from my sin. And I want Jesus to be my savior. I know I've sinned. Would you come? Would you give your life to Jesus today? Father in heaven, As you've spoken here today powerfully. You're speaking personally to our hearts. You're drawing us to turn to Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that today we would not dig in our heels. I pray that today we would not resist you. There's none other, there's no other name whereby we must be saved. It's only Jesus. And I pray that today, someone, a man, a woman, a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, a son, a daughter, a grandchild, will turn and trust in Jesus and be saved. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. You come. Come back.